books. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Phantoms of Monsters Radio where we explore the strange and unexplained. I'm your host, Lon Stricker, and thanks for joining me this evening. Uh, if you enjoy our content, then please subscribe, like, and share our presentations. And uh, please feel free to place comments as well. Uh, Super Chat uh, is active during the show, so please uh, show your support for Phantoms of Monsters Radio by clicking the dollar icon underneath the chat. Also, support the channel by clicking Super Thanks icon and the Buy Me a Coffee link. Your consideration is very much needed and appreciated. So we got a uh, a pretty large group here for this roundtable. And uh, let me start off by introducing Max Hawthorne, who is a, uh, an American author and screenwriter, uh, referred to as the Prince of Paleo Fiction. He is best known for his Cronus Rising series as sci-fi uh suspense thrillers which have garnered both book of the year and people's choice awards he is the amazon number one bestseller author of the cryptid research book monsters and marine mysteries as well as memoirs of a gym rat an outrageous expose of health club industry and children's book i want a tyrannosaurus for christmas he has been interviewed by both washington post and fangora magazine has appeared on qbc spaced out radio Coast to Coast AM, and in a tribe called Quest Rap Video, I Left My Wallet in El Segundo. In addition to being a bestseller novelist, he is a singer-songwriter, avocational paleontologist, uh, cryptid researcher, IGFA world record holder, angler, and voting member of the Authors Guild. Max is an avid sportsman and conservationist. And Ron Murphy, the cryptid guru, is with us tonight. He has been investigating the stuff of nightmares for over 30 years. He has delved deeply into the shadows to shed light on the things that go bump in the night and meticulously researched the historical and psychological context of myths and legends from all around the world. Ron seeks to uncover the archetypal uh, precedent for monsters that haunt our collective thoughts. 
In 2018, Ron also wrote On Aquatic Monsters of the Great Lakes, an investigation into the legends and sightings of unknown animals. Uh, Kenny W. Irish, otherwise known as the Crypto Punkologist, is an author, hardcore punk musician, and sales marketing professional. Originally from the northern, northern parts of Vermont, he has recently re relocated to the beautiful Anirondack area of upstate New York. He has a lifelong, lifelong love of folklore, legends, monsters, and UFO stories. He has uh, regularly attended and spoke at writers' guilds, groups, uh, conferences, festivals, and, and various other platforms across the country. He has a passion for writing young readers' chapters books. In late summer 2022, International Cryptids and Legends and the follow-up to American Cryptids was released via Beyond the Furry Publishing. He's also an explorer of the New York uh, for the New York Bigfoot Society, Kenny has appeared on numerous radio shows and podcasts, including Coast to Coast AM. He has filmed in uh, several documentaries scheduled to broadcast in the near future. And Steve Calls, otherwise known as the Squatch Detective, former professional investigator and private investigator, lends his 18 years of experience to the Bigfoot mystery and cryptids. Steve has appeared on numerous uh, local news programs across the country and national venues such as Fox and Friends and interviewed in print in over 100 newspapers over the last 10 years. Steve has appeared on the History Channel series Monster Quest and America's Book of Secrets, the National Geographic documentary The Truth Behind the Loch Ness Monster in the Nat Geo Channel series Paranatural. Destination America's Monsters and Mysteries Unsolved and Paranormal Survivors. So, guys, thanks for joining me this evening. It's a pleasure to be here, my friend. Thanks for putting up yeah. with me. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the invite. Well, I mean, we got quite a group here tonight. Uh, I don't know. Kenny's still there? Maybe he backed out for a second. Well, he'll be back. Oh, boy. So let me start off with Max. I know Max was on with uh, Bernadette a couple weeks ago, and uh, you you kind of do a lot of this as far as paleontology and and fossils and such with the aquatics. Um, tell us a bit about what you've done and what you're doing now. Right now, I'm drinking out of a stitch mug huh. that belongs to my daughter, so risking life and limb. Um, well, let's see. I mean, the uh, paleontology thing was, uh, I mean, uh, a side effect of all the research that I do for my novels. The Cronus Rising series is paleofiction. So you're dealing with prehistoric marine life in the present and what might happen if you introduce an apex predator, obviously, into our predator-depleted oceans and such. But uh, so, I mean, I did a lot of stuff. I mean, I uh, solved the mystery of plesiosaur locomotion, how they use their four flippers to swim. Uh, did a formal paper on that with paleontologist Mark McManaman and Paul De La Salle from the UK. Uh, I did a lot of work on, I guess, solving the mystery of why plesiosaurs had such long necks, uh, all sorts of stuff, a lot of megalodon research, you name it, I've, I've been doing it, besides writing books and screenplays and all that stuff and videos and, you know, it's a hectic thing. So I don't know. Cool. I mean, there's so much stuff I'd just be blabbing yeah. about it, you know. Like I was telling you, we just did a YouTube video with evidence of a 32-foot white shark. 
you know, a whale okay. cartridge with yard wide bites taken out of it with tooth marks, etc. So where was that, that at? That that wash ashore on Briar Island. That's uh, Nova Scotia. And okay. it, uh, yeah, it worked out nicely because actually one of the researchers, uh, she took photos of the carcass while it was still at sea and all the bites were fresh. And then when it came ashore, her husband uh, filmed it and everything, got me measurements and all this stuff. And then he dissected it. I mean, he took the skeleton, et cetera. But it was so falling apart at that point. At that point, it didn't matter. But, you know, we got actually a 30-foot humpback which bites. I can't even show my hands because the screen's not big enough here. But big enough, like we're talking a shark the size almost of the one from Jaws 3. Wow. So, yeah. Only thing so, is now um, we need the actual shark. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, I, I know you did a, a Loch Ness documentary a while back. Uh, what came of that? I mean, what was involved with that at the time? Well, let's see. We uh, a really weird uh, uh, how it happened. Uh, the director of the uh, program was actually the director of the, my Monster Quest episode. And he thought, okay. you know, hey, I, I was such a, a, a strong, you know, presence during the Monster Quest that he wanted me to go out and lead a team in Loch Ness for the Nat Geo Channel. So we, we had talked and, uh, in September of the previous year, 2010, and uh, we were going to film in 2011. So uh, got sent out there and, uh, you know, like we were going to have uh, side scan uh, sonar. We were going to have uh, a couple of uh, a marine biologists come with us. We, we had a captain of a boat that, you know, was very familiar with the, the area. Um, and we had, a, and we had a, a dive team as well to go in and, and start looking around Urquhart uh, Castle, which is that famous castle you see in the in search of scene there uh, mm -hmm. when, they, when they say, you know, lake monsters or Loch Ness. Um, so I uh, spent nine days out there. Uh, I think six and a half days was spent always on the water. Uh, I mean, hours and hours on the water uh, looking for things, uh, making observations. Uh, I managed to debunk a hoax while I was there uh, as good, well as, man. yeah, as well as talk to a couple of, uh, you know, really good, strong witnesses as well. And one not so good witness. So, <laughs> oh, you're gonna um, get those. Yep. Uh, we we actually had a polygrapher by the name of David Bird, been with Scotland Yard for 35 years, and had become really an international uh, polygrapher, giving polygraph exams. And at the time he was coming to do this, he had just came off of uh, putting a Belgian serial killer on the box because uh, the the Belgian government called him in the interview see if he was telling the truth about other murders so he was there and uh, we got along because like uh my my some of my background is in forensic interviewing and uh, speaking with him there's a lot of similarities that you know in the build-up to a polygraph exam the polygrapher will interview the subject they're going to speak with and basically use a little psychology on them as well to build up the reputation of the machine so it was just quite a learning experience, and uh, some of the observations I made there was quite a learning experience. And I definitely came away with a better understanding of what it was and what it wasn't. Great. 
So, Ron, you're a folklorist. I know you wrote a book about lake monsters or, I don't know, you know. What, what, what are your thoughts on lake monsters? I mean, you know, we've got one semi-famous one here in Pennsylvania with Raystown Ray. But overall, what are your thoughts on this? Right. Well, I mean, I think it's it's very intriguing. Uh, one of your uh, your uh, uh, listeners said that lake monsters act kind of like a gateway drug onto other cryptids. You know, I think there is truth to that because I first became interested in these kind of strange, unusual animals uh, from in search of. You know, whenever you know, as soon as you see that surgeon's photo, you immediately are drawn into it. It's like the Patterson Gimlin film. You immediately want to know as much as you can about it. And um, I was uh, whenever I was in graduate school, I was studying history. It so happened I was studying in Sterling, Scotland, which is a hop, skip, and a jump from Loch Ness. I said, I have right. to get there. I have to get to Loch Ness. Uh, so I was able to uh, take a tour of, of, the, of the lake. Um, but it's, it's really fascinating because so much of the world nowadays is very domesticated. So Loch Ness is a huge body of water, but all the water that's feeding into it is pretty well tamed at this point. The access to the ocean is now part of the Caledonian Canal, so it's very difficult for things to get there. But as a historian, I like to look at the way people looked at things in the past to see if somehow, as Shakespeare would say, if the past is prologue, if it still makes sense to this very day. Um, so I just became interested in all these lake monsters because what is so interesting is when we talk about Loch Ness or we talk about the Great Lakes or even Lake Champlain, all these lakes were made right around the same time, about 14,000 years ago at the end of the last ice age. So there's, mm -hmm. there's something to be said about that, right? So if we are looking at something, we have to look at a commonality. And there is indeed a commonality among not only lake monsters, but even the, um, the, uh, the longitude and latitude in which these lakes happen to reside. There's something going on um, geologically and geographically about these things. And it starts kind of making sense after a while. Mm. So, Kenny, what are your thoughts on these aquatic cryptids? Well, it's funny because a lot of people who I talk to and 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 know me see me kind of as like a Bigfoot guy, but in reality, um, it, it, my first love was Champ, uh, being a, a big lover of Godzilla. And about four, when I was about four years old, I had somebody say to me when I was living in northern Vermont that Godzilla lived in Lake Champlain, <laughs> and that kind of that's kind of when I, I kind of went from like the Godzilla, King Kong, Incredible Hulk. Okay, well, you know, that's just on TV. To hey, there might be something real, you know, about what's going on here. So, I mean, it, you know, out of all the cryptids, you know, that that people uh, talk about and sightings all across the world, I, I mean, something that would be. I'd say maybe more more relevant. I don't even want to use the word relevant, but something that, that I could see being more realistic is something that's living in the water that's 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 down underneath that that burrows its way down. I mean, and you know, kind of like what what when Ron was talking earlier today or earlier um, a few minutes ago about just um, the just the, the magnitude of um you know years and years and thousands of years of people seeing different different creatures in the water not being able to understand what they are and, and a lot of bodies of water that are separated now at one point in time actually being connected um like with lake champlain that used to be part of the atlantic ocean you know mm -hmm. and then you know and then um you know the mile high glaciers came in there was a separation now it's a freshwater lake um so you know uh, 
you know, there's, there's speculation that, you know, something got trapped in it and um, it no longer exists now, but there were sightings and now people are, are seeing things. But yeah, I, I, I don't know about that. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, the, the large sturgeons that are in Lake Champlain and that that's, you know, what a lot of people are seeing. But I, I don't I don't, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of credible people that still to this day are are claiming sightings. Um, I, I like we mentioned, I live in New York now and Lake George is a smaller lake that's just um, north of like Albany, New York. And there was a there was a hoax of a lake monster. Um, they called her Georgie. Um, and it turned out to be a hoax. It wasn't real. But yet there's still people coming in from out of state that had never heard of such a creature that still to this day are reporting sightings. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely plausible, even in these smaller bodies of water that something does exist, something's burrowing down underneath and hiding and then uh, showing itself from time to time. Yeah. If well, I could you know, back just what Kenny had said there. Go ahead. Yeah. So it's interesting because it, even though it was a hoax, people were still drawn to it, weren't they? There's mm -hmm. a, believe in a plausibility whenever you deal with bodies of water the same way Juan said at the very beginning you know in Pennsylvania we have Raystown Lake and Raystown reside in there the whole problem is though it's a man-made lake so yeah. it wasn't like connected to anything you know this is a man-made lake but people still believe it simply because it's water could be lurking down there like that Kenny like what could be burrowed in the depths of this place that we simply do not know. So there's that that plausibility throughout this entire thing. We talk about this. For instance, I got interested in in, in the Great Lakes monsters. What led me to write a book is that I was invited to uh, the Maricon up to St. Marie, and I was on a panel with Linda Godfrey and Lauren Coleman, and I started to hear a lot of Native American reports of, hey, mm -hmm. did you hear about this story that happened in this lake? And I started to compile all these things. And Kenny, like you had said, for you know a thousand years, people have had these stories about something that looks very similar to what we would call the Loch Ness Monster or Lake Champlain. It's part of our humanity. And it seems to be really connected to these lakes that formed about 14,000 years ago. I have a Loch Ness question, actually. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. Um, can we pull up that picture of the 1972 flipper photo? I sent it to him. Yeah, I think Vincent will get it up there. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, it's like yeah, greenish you know, and everything I, like that. Do, I mean, do, do you think that's a compelling picture? I mean, do you, a plesiosaur? Well, or do you think that, no, that may very No, I believe that Nessie is, are, is sightings of either Wells catfish or sturgeon. Like Adrian Schein had said that they, he believes they migrate in and out of the lock, and that would make sense. I've looked at some of the sonar hits and stuff, and when you ever mm -hmm. you see the the uh, like the large reading, it's always around spawning fish. You know, I mean, in Pennsylvania, like places I've been, like Tinicum and stuff like that, you'll see like when minnows are spawning and stuff. I mean, hundreds of thousands of them, huge channel cats will just swim in there and just swim around with their mouths open like a whale shark or, or a whale feeding on plankton and gorge themselves, you know? And it would make sense if a big predator like a Wells or a, a sturgeon would want an mm -hmm. easy meal like that. You know, these smaller fish, what, what's in there, I, uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but there's like trout and all sorts of other stuff like that, that they would be so busy into reproduction that the predator can just come in and gorge itself. But that we need the actual, the flipper one, although I inverted it, as you'll see. 
Can he? Uh, Vincent, you're going to pull that up. Let's see. It's yeah, the top it's left. The whole way to the upper, the upper left. That yeah. one there. Now, now the, no, one the other way. The Go back. Previous one. Awesome. There you go. Thank you. So now this is actually inverted 180 degrees, which apparently Darren Nash said the original was. So this is mm -hmm. how it originally was filmed. And if you look at the untouched, retouched one at the bottom, which is the real photo and not this one that was altered, to me, this looks like, you see that ridge curling there with the shading under it? That to mm -hmm. me looks like the flank of a sturgeon. It does. See, yep. it has that curving body. It has the ridges there, the dermal scoots on there, and possibly even a fin if you see it on the bottom right there. Now, if he pulls up the sturgeon photo, which is right next to it, I don't know if you can get both at the right. same time. You see yeah, that? So to me, I think what they filmed was a sturgeon. And they said that this reading was like 2.4 meters, something like that, which is an average size sturgeon. You know, so I don't think it was a flipper, but I think it was something organic, and I think that's what it was. I'm just curious what everybody else thinks. Well, it was from what I've understood too. It was it was very common for a seal or two to get into the uh, the lock as well from through the Caledonian Canal, mm. and sometimes what they're thought is some of that the ungulation people see sometimes is maybe a seal that gets through. But I myself, uh, you know do subscribe i i went away thinking it was probably likely a sturgeon myself mm -hmm. um and the other thing too is there is so much uh you know the one thing that that lake gets is easterly winds and westerly winds i mean that's why it, you know you can start off the day at 40 degrees by midday at 75 an hour later it's down to 40 again an hour and a half later it's up to 65 the wet it's really some real weird weather but what that does is it causes some strange ripple effects on that lock. So, and the debris, you know, can give the appearance. I actually took some picture of debris just going by the, I mean, I happen to have the pleasure of staying right there on the lock at Elduri Castle. And uh, so I had a view of that lake even when I wasn't on the boat. And you would see things floating down the, you know, through the lock back and forth. And you would think that it was something other than, debris so very hmm. very fascinating stuff I mean, so, and, and, and my only point is is that if somebody is not familiar say they're they're driving along the roads along the lock because that's where a lot of the sightings happen mm -hmm. you know if you're not used to seeing that kind of stuff on the lock you could be driving along and say oh my god i just saw lock. i think there's there's so many of the historical sightings though that scream wells catfish to me I mean, like, like the very first one, you remember where this thing dragged somebody under and then a priest, it was coming back and a priest told it to go away or whatever and all that. I mean, yes. this is going back hundreds of years ago. St. Well, Columbo. Columbo. Yeah. yeah. So Jeremy Wade did a, uh, a specials yeah. on Wells catfish. And right. these girls had been attacked by a Wells because they were swimming near their, where their nest was, their eggs after they, you know, and they protect their eggs and they grabbed the girl by the leg and they yanked her under, you know, they have that big mouth and they don't have, much teeth but they bruise and pull you know if something big grabs you and pulls you under the water you're going to be terrified and that sounds to me like a wells protecting its nesting site from right. somebody swimming by you know i mean they're over over people uh they saw one on the shore nessie it was like two meters long it had antennas which would be whiskers okay mm -hmm. and then it flopped around and it went back in the water 
And I mean, so many of these sightings sound like Wells catfish, which are stocked all over Europe. I mean, my friend's son catches six footers in England all the time. So I didn't even know they were. There. I didn't even know they were in Loch Ness. Be quite honest with you, I didn't well, know they were even in no there. Proof, there's no proof that they're in there yet. Although, oh, like okay. I said, Adrian, Adrian Shine has said he believes that the big ones come in there. You know, migrate in and out of the lock. Okay. But I'm saying okay. if they're all over the UK, it why right. wouldn't they be in Loch Ness? And I mean, you're when it comes to sonar, these fish, except at night, they like to hide under logs and on overhangs and stuff like that. You're not even going to see them on sonar. They just right. sit there and chill. You know, that's what they do. But well, these 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 thoughts. things that show up where they're not supposed to show up. I mean, nothing tells these you know, um, different things that, Hey, you know what? You're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be there. They find a way. They, they just kind of follow it through. Like, like Steve, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I saw something where like there was a, a big piece of ice or something going down like the Hudson river near New York. And there was a seal on it. Oh, you, you remember that? Wow. Vaguely, yeah. 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 And I mean, that was only like five, six yeah. years ago, I think. So it's like, nobody's telling, you know, these creatures, Hey, you know what? You're not supposed to be here. So, yep. you know, they're, they're just kind of making their way through. And, and, and I, I do think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of misidentifications and there's things that people see that they're not used to seeing and they, they believe it to be this or that. Um, but like I said, you know, the, a, a seal going down the Hudson river in New York, I mean, that shouldn't happen, but you know, nobody told the seal <laughs> that. So, yeah, we had, they had a beluga, beluga whale in the Delaware River a few years. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah, they had yeah. they had a seal drop by uh, underneath the railroad bridge just north of the Dunn Memorial Bridge, uh, and he was hanging out there and got quite a gathering of all the Albany people, all the Albany citizens. Because when do you get to see a seal? Well, you know, not not only that, like you know, I know this is it obviously isn't an aquatic creature, but two years ago running down main street in uh albany there was a there was a bear so i mean again nobody you know the, the these animals don't know to not not go to these areas obviously nobody was like oh look there's a bigfoot running around in albany you know there was right. no misidentification but right. um you know very well you know sometimes i think that's where some of these these things come from is again something being somewhere where it's not supposed to be but something that is legit especially well, you know, when I used to live down in Maryland. I'm down. I'm down on the bay a lot, and all the stuff that drifts in that bay. I mean, we've had manatee come in there, belugas, uh, huge makos come in there. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, these things do sh tend to show up where they're not supposed to. We've even there have even been manatees up in Boston Harbor. So uh, yeah, these things do get. To, they do get to where they're not really supposed to be. Well, you know, and as far as like Loch Ness too, you know, just like Lake Champlain, I mean, at one point in time, well, I believe it's, it still is, but at one point in time, wasn't it, wasn't it all like part of like the ocean as well? I could be wrong, but I'm, well, I'm I, you uh, know, Loch, you, you Loch mentioned, Loch. you mentioned Lake Champlain. I think they're probably, I, I think the St. Lawrence is hooked into Champlain, maybe in aquifers or underneath caverns mm -hmm. and stuff. I, I think that's entirely possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is I, I always say when it comes to the yeah, earth, well, I mean, we talk about, you know, the, the, the earth is covered with water, except for where, you know, land is, you know, but land, in, in my opinion, they're just they're just kind of like little little islands and there's water underneath it. So, I mean, everything's somehow connected, you know. But obviously, you know, you've got like, you know, fresh water. Well, how does, you know, if it's connected to the ocean, how does it, you know, maintain being fresh? Well, the earth does an amazing filtration on its own. Right. Um, 
So, but I, I don't know. I'm uh, again, I, I just see, you know, as land as you know, just little islands and, you know, with the, how much water is covering the earth, um, it's all connected one way or another, whether it's, um, you know, fresh water, salt water, or whatever, it's all touching one way or another. Uh, just to answer that question, Loch Ness was not uh, connected to the Atlantic Ocean. It was actually carved out by a glacier. Okay. And it wasn't. It wasn't connected to the Atlantic Ocean until the Caledonian Canal was built. Um, and uh, in some places, the Loch is actually deeper than the Atlantic Ocean seafloor. Hmm. Wasn't it frozen also for a while? But the, the, uh, I, I, I can't personally vouch for that. Not quite that old yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The state fossil of Vermont. The state fossil is. Uh, a beluga well because it was found on the uh, the uh, the banks of the Lake Champlain. Yeah, it was that uh, they were building the. So railroad. we do know that it was open to the ocean. Yeah. Yep, yeah. So we do know that it was open to the ocean, and also we know around Loch Ness there have been a plenty of fossils of aquatic uh, animals uh, discovered within the uh, within the uh, the shell and the rock layers around uh, Loch Ness. So. I, again, everything was interconnected at one time. And I truly think as a historian and as a folklorist, I think when we talk about the similarities in worldwide flood narratives, we're coming pretty close to this uh, as the source, in, in my in my humble opinion. Um, because, you know, 14 years ago, what was yesterday in, in, our, in our line as human beings. And so many times we probably would have been able to watch this. Our ancestors would have been able to watch this. And it had to have been absolutely terrific whenever that bit of land that was holding back all the water finally gave way. Mm -hmm. It would indeed appear as if the world was flooding. Ron, you're so still me... getting that, that glitch, at least on my end, where you're like delayed a little. Yeah, freezing. you are a little bit delayed, Ron. Yeah, you are. Anyway. All right, yes. <laughs> um now and uh, yeah i'm gonna ask max to answer this uh, initially but what are the chances that we that there could possibly be unknown uh aquatic cryptids in our in our oceans even our lakes but in our oceans more particular like megalodon or something that was by the fossil record that was a, that was known to exist at one point, and doesn't um, know it's supposed to be extinct. You mean? Yeah, etc. I I think that the chances of unknown or incredibly large life forms in the ocean is ninety nine point nine percent. I mean, you're talking how many million cubic miles? If I had monsters marine mysteries in front of me, I'd have that answer to that. But millions of cubic miles of ocean, only five percent of the ocean floor has been explored. That doesn't mm -hmm. include the average of 11,000 feet of water above that, obviously, and what's in it and all. But, I mean, it goes on and on. I, I looked, you know, researched gigantic squid, mega sharks. I interviewed uh, Gary Lamada's friend who was with him when he saw that 38-foot total, tur total, turtle, I'm sorry. I tried to, I was thinking of Nova Scotia at the same time and all that. But, um, I mean, it goes on and on and on. But uh, in terms of the shark thing, I don't believe that Megalodon is still with us. Um because you would need a breeding population mm -hmm. of at least 500 animals, number one. And since my research suggests that the adults were primarily scavengers, you would be seeing them a lot. You'd be seeing a lot of whale carcasses with big bites out of them, et cetera. But when I did all the research for the book, and even since then, we keep coming up with evidence of 
sharks that are impossibly large compared to how big they're supposed to be. Right. Um, I think I documented one, two, three. I mean, in Monster Marine Mystery, in Marine Mysteries, the biggest one is this one off of the Galapagos. I call it the Galapagos Giant. And marine biologist Simon Pierce photographed a 40-foot whale shark. And then on its left caudal flank in the back there, it had a bite scar four feet across with tooth grooves still visible from a shark, which suggests a shark about the same size as the whale shark. There were all different ones that I did the number crunching on and research and all this stuff. And then since then, more and more has been coming up. A photographer, I think it was in 2019, he photographed an 11-foot great white with a 30-inch bite scar on its flank, which again is much bigger than they're supposed to be. And most recently, I, like I was mentioning before, when we did this documentary, we got a whale carcass with yard-wide bites taken out of it. So I believe that, and even the Discovery Channel mentioned this, they think that marine biologists are saying that white sharks occasionally suffer from gigantism. And in which case they could be twice the length potentially that they're supposed to get, which makes sense. I mean, I've caught insects that are two, two and a half times as big as they're supposed to be. There are mm -hmm. American toads that are supposed to only grow four inches, that grow eight inches in length sometimes. Gigantism exists. And if that was the case, then you got to figure that, number one, you don't need a breeding population anymore. It just pops up here and there, which explains why they're rarely seen. It also means that, that those genetics are not going to be passed on easily because if a female white shark is 40 feet long and a 16-foot male comes up and tries to romance her, He's going to be a snack. You see what I'm saying? And if it was reverse, if it was a 35-foot male and something like that and trying to approach an 18-foot female, she's going to run for her life. See? So, I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. The tooth puncture seemed to indicate white shark from what we've looked at and stuff. I mean, it just they just keep popping up, though. There's got to be at least five of these animals alive right now that are much bigger than 20 or 23 feet. So that's just my opinion. Anybody else want to... if, you want, if you want to see them, by the way, I can start whipping out all sorts of megalodon teeth, meg ancestor teeth, <laughs> white shark teeth. I, I got the ribs, the fossils, the tooth marks, the munch marks, you name it. There's a giant display case right over there filled with goodies. Well, I mean, has anybody video? else got any thoughts on that? Or if, are these, uh, I mean, are we, is it po possible that the, the, these, these creatures are coming from another period of time or still around and you know are still inhabiting our oceans well you know that reminds me of that that movie um i think it was called the meg have you guys mm -hmm. seen that movie where mm -hmm. um they think they're actually at the bottom of the ocean they're furthest down but then they realize that there's actually another layer there and that's when they go down and they 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 come across and uh <laughs> there's all kinds of creatures that they've they've never seen and then when they 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 go back up through there. I guess that's when one of the the large sharks follows them up through. So it's funny because since that movie's come out and I've watched it, I've had like many people say, "Hey, you know, do you think that you know?" And and some of them are you know conspiracy theory people. You know, hey, you know, do you think you know this is why this happened, this and that, and that's why you see certain things that that they come up that people don't necessarily understand. And you know, and I I don't know, but um. It, you know, again, when we talk about, you know, how much of um, uh, Max talked about it, how much of the ocean that we've actually explored and been able to actually see and that we know about. I mean, I mean, obviously, yes. I mean, you would see, you know, like Max had mentioned that, you know, there'd be 
there, there, you'd see a lot more and there'd be a lot more devastation with something like that around. But uh, I don't know. I just, the, the fact that, you know, that that movie came out and a lot of people are actually kind of jumping on board with that. Just, I don't know, just kind of, kind of makes me think. Anybody else got any thoughts on that? Do you want to pull up the video and show the whale with the bite marks on it? Yeah, if you, if uh, Vincent can get it up. I beg your pardon? Oh, well, Vincent can get it up on screen. That's what, that's what she said. That's yeah. even worse. Wait, no. no that's... Well, anyway. You, you I, uh, asked me to come on. Remember that. Right. Okay. This is your fault. <laughs> I didn't give him the URL, though. I gave him the URL for some other recent footage oh, okay. of, of of cryptid creatures, possibly, and I wanted to show people so we could talk about what they might be. Um, I can send it to him right now if if he can do it quick. Oh, if you yeah, if you want to, um, you know, I I had mentioned earlier about about Raystown Ray, and we've had some people wanting to know what Raystown Ray is. I, I first of all, I'm gonna kind of get into it. I know Ron can chime in on this, but Raystown Ray was the uh, was the upper. Juniana River that was dammed off back in, I think, maybe the 70s uh, by the um, Army Corps of Engineers. They built a huge dam there. And, uh, you know, since that has happened, it, it, I, think, I think the dam itself is a depth of like 120 foot. It's pretty deep. But people have said they have seen this huge aquatic creature similar to what people are seeing in, in Loch Ness or, you know, that type of shape at, um, at Gracetown Lake. Now, how it got in there, I have no idea. I have talked to several of these people over the years. I have, uh, I, I know, uh, Stan Gordon has talked to a few witnesses. I've talked to people who have worked at the lake. Uh, I know there was an investigation there years ago where who, and I think it was probably the paranormal files who did the investigation where they thought it was very possible what people were seeing could actually be in the lake. How? I don't know. But that, that, that's something I, I, I wanted to ask. And, and, and Ron, if you've got anything to add to that, please, please do. Yeah, I think it was paranormal fact or fate. If if because right. it was a picture, a famous picture of Raystown Ray. Um, right. So one of my theories, you know, from a cryptozoological point of view, is we, we we talk about elementals that certain types of spirits are attached to certain areas. So so the idea, I, I know somebody in the chat room was talking about like mermaids. Um, mermaids, whenever we think of them, we we typically think of the ocean. But I spoke with somebody who claims that they saw a mermaid in a man-made lake outside of Reno, Nevada. So it seems, as I said, things are drawn to them. Is it possible that there is something inherent within the natural world and what some people, you know, elementals, you know, you know, a water elemental, a woods elemental, all these different kind of creatures that are associated with a particular biome? Is it possible there's an intelligence energy out there that manifests itself as different things at different times? Because it seems as it is that should not have these creatures in them are are certainly 
showing something. Something's there. You know, these people, even if there is misidentification going on, they're definitely not lying about it. They're seeing something that should mm -hmm. not be there. Um, and, and it's an interesting theory to think about as well, too, because when all kind of naturalistic theories run out, you kind of have to look for the more of the woo, as it were, you know, looking for, for more kind of uh, speculative ideas. But that's one that I came up with. It's not like throwing your hands up in the air. It's like one of those things, why hasn't there been a, a Bigfoot captured on a film that's not blurry? And you think that at the end of the day, could we be talking about some sort of energy that inhabits certain areas around the world? Well, you you know, I've had I had Nick Redfern on with me once, uh, and he swears that uh, he and he believes that Nessie is actually a, a supernatural being. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So and we don't, yeah. yeah, we don't really have to go supernatural. See, that's the thing as well too, because whenever we start talking about supernatural, we think that it's like above the the realm of 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 right. naturalism, you know. And it, and it might be something that's very natural. People have talked about fairies for thousands of years and places like Loch Ness, that area around there, very close to that area, uh, was a, a very famous uh, fairy hotspot called um, um, Aberfoyle, uh, which mm -hmm. is you know, very, very close to Loch Ness. And not only that, but Loch Ness, uh, that area also has a lot of UFO sightings as well. So it seems that something strange is going up there. Also, uh, the Grey Band is said to linger up in the uh, Scottish Highlands as well, too. So yeah, it's Ben McDewey. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when we talk about certain areas of the world, we talk about, you know, the uh, idea of like the Chestnut Ridge, and we talk about there are certain areas around the world that seem to be a hotspot for these kind of things. And if I could just one more thing, a uh, fish belly mm -hmm. over there on the comment, because this is one of my favorite things, spring and the early uh, dolphin migration up the Susquehanna will start soon. So I do want to point this one thing out. Whenever I was writing my book on mermaids, there was a mermaid sighting in the Susquehanna River, of all places. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a very lucid uh, fisherman reported seeing a mermaid. Now, of course, um, you know, um, the zoologists claimed that it probably was a seal that made it up there. But like we all had talked about before, you know, this is still part of the cryptozoology. Uh, animals that are out of place, you know, the things that shouldn't be there. This is all very interested, uh, you know, interesting things to study. So I think Vincent has the video ready to queue up. So go ahead and, and do that, Vincent. You'll have to listen to my voice narrating. I apologize in advance for that. <laughs> As if I wasn't talking too much already. I, I try to get him to, around the point where you where uh, we were trying to crunch the numbers in terms of the size of this. Because what mm -hmm. had happened is earlier, I mean, the video is 22 or 24 minutes long. Right. So here, does it have the thing, the narration? Okay, so that mess to the left, there was a group of like five bites. And my guy, um, Jess Tudor, had actually went and measured that, but the carcass had shifted. It wasn't in the position you see now. When he went back then a few days later, it was different. So that mess of bites on the left there was 52 inches across. So we're trying to get the size for the one on the far right. So the narration's not there, but basically what happened is this frame here was useful because I was able to take the measurement of that boot, crunch the numbers for the size of the bite there, and get that as a 20-inch yardstick, basically, in terms of size. Mm. 
so you'll see then it's kind of boring without the talking and everything see, yeah he can't get the sound file to come up uh it's just you it's on youtube but oh well yeah for it's whatever reason keep, he can't get it is it gonna up. keep playing it seems to be frozen yeah well anyway um but thanks for putting that up vincent um so i mean is there anything you want to add to that max well, no, I'm just saying is that huge bite over to the right there right. is actually over a yard across. And we were able to crunch numbers to show that. Then later on, there's when the carcass was at sea, there's another bite where this thing, this whale was wounded by a ship strike. A propeller had chopped it up on its shoulder quite badly. Oh. And so there's another bite on there where it's fresh, where you can see it and compare that to like the, the fin and stuff. And you realize that that bite is also at least a yard across. So there's a fresh one with individual tooth notches, and then there's this one over here. So you put those together, basically, you're talking about a carcass that has fresh and non-fresh bites a yard across. See, that's the incomplete bite right there. This carcass okay. is probably pretty deteriorated. Well, but, somebody uh, in the chat wanted to know, if, is, it, is there a possibility that an orca may have done that? Uh, an orca's bite isn't shaped like that. It's okay. narrower. It looks more like a a lizard bite almost. You know, their teeth, remember they're dolphins. So right. that rostrum is not like, they don't have that cookie cutter bite that a shark takes. A white shark, a tiger shark, you know, they, they take these semicircle chunks, they excise flesh. When an orca bites, it leaves grooves like this, it bites in and it shakes and tears to rip out chunks. You know, they don't just like excise flesh like a shark does. That makes sense. Their jaws are designed right. to grab like the flukes of the great whales and hold them in place while others batter the whale to death and rip it apart, etc. So they tear out jagged chunks by sheer force, shaking their heads, that type of stuff. But if you look at an orca skull, like uh, I think the biggest one I, I came across was only like maybe 20 inches wide, like the jaws and stuff, you know, tooth mm -hmm. to tooth, something like that. It's in the book. I don't, I don't, I can't remember everything, but. Nowhere near. I mean, that would have to be like Liviaton or even bigger to get right. a, a bite that size. But the shape is, it's, you know, you could see the teeth. It's definitely a shark bite. Um, we had a question from Space Cadet Lottie since we were talking about the UK. And um, he, he wanted to know about the, uh, what we thought about the evidence for Bonessie at Lake Windermere in the Lake District of UK. You know, I had looked into that when all that first started coming out, and I don't know what everybody else thinks about that, but it seemed to me that got, that was a publicity stunt for for the the resort and the lake. I don't know. I don't know if, what was going on there. Does anybody have any information on that? Well, I know that's a very beautiful area. You know, that's the area that where the Romantics wrote. Um, right. and, but, uh, you know, I don't remember, you know, the Coolridge ever writing about the, the monster in Lake Windermere. But I think that you're getting pretty close to the point, my friend. I think that we're talking about a tourist industry uh, wanting to hang its hat on something different. Yeah, than, I, uh, think, I, think that's, I think that's what it was. Yeah. I, I heard the same exact thing, that, that it was kind of, um, it, it was definitely a, a publicity stunt. And, you know, my background in marketing, I mean, I, I've, I've heard a lot of... Um, 
a, a lot of things to kind of get things on a map to get people to, to uh, come out. I mean, it, it's just like if you think about, you know, when, um, you know, Ghost Hunters came out and got really popular and then everybody got kind of excited about it. Um, you know, hotels and places, you know, and inns, you know, they never wanted to say, hey, you know, hey, this is haunted. Now they're like, hey, no, this is haunted. Now people are coming out. So before, you know, things kind of kind of changed over the years when something kind of kind of got cool. So it kind of kind of pulls people in. Um, I, I just wanted to uh, throw something out real quick because it's it's got brought up twice about um, uh, the 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 creature in the man-made lake. Um, something that, you know, has been brought up and I think I even saw somebody mention something about it in the chat as well. Um, so a man-made, made lake body of water. So it's made, it's there. Um, and, and, and this has always been kind of, kind of a question of mine too. Could there have been something in the ground that did get disrupted and, I don't know, hibernating. I, I, I don't know. And then at some point, you know, ground was saturated and then it came about. I, I, that on, uh, that's not where, you know, my, I, I didn't want to say expertise, but you know, where that's where I'm really weak in that. But I just kind of wanted to throw that out. Cause I saw somebody say that in here as well as it's, I've heard that, um, outside of, um, uh, um, here in, in other chats and different things like that, that something could have been stirred up, something could have been dug up to a degree. Um, so I just didn't know what people's uh, thoughts were on that. I just thought it was kind of interesting. Cause again, somebody threw that in here. What do you think, Max? Uh, like Kenny said, totally not my area. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm more like, you know, extant, extinct animals and all that other yeah. stuff. Again. But to answer that other person's question about the orca thing, if you huh? can get him to pull the video back up at 1953, like 19 minutes and 53 seconds, there's a great color shot of the fresh carcass with this giant, uh, giant bite on it where you can see the individual teeth like notches on one side, which will show you it's definitely not an orca because orca's teeth are not rounding, you know, following a round mouth, if that makes sense. Do you think he can do that or is it too I don't much? know if he can or not. I, I don't know if he's able to do it or not. Huh, While not. he's queuing that up, I want to let you know that in Africa, there is a particular type of lungfish that can right. um, bury itself and sometimes over a year until water comes and then it kind of sea monkeys itself back into life again. So I guess that's not a, <laughs> above the realm of poss you know, possibility. And also, and you know, frogs another, that do that also. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 But the other thing that we have to consider too is a lot of times things get into the water from birds you know bird droppings they eat the eggs of something then they go over so you know until we figure out what these creatures are it could be like you said there max a giant sturgeon of some kind we don't know what is getting into our lakes because so many weird things have been in introduced into the, the world around us you know invasive species you know it could even have been a snakehead before snakeheads were possible yeah Speaking oh of i snakeheads. know i know a lake in new jersey that I am convinced, I put it in my book, this guy must have had a tropical fish tank and he dumped his fish in there because I I pulled a shad up out of the water. Okay, there it is right there. Now, it even, it even circles it, but if you look on the right side of the bite there, you can see individual tooth curves, individual not tooth notches. notches. Yeah. They're characteristic gouges, the calling card of a gigantic oh shark. Precise measuring is, of course, impossible 
but knowing that this was a humpback pushing 30 feet in length and that their pectoral fins typically range from 25 to 30% of their length, that means that this female's flippers were anywhere from seven to nine feet long. Based on photographic mm. studies, I've calculated an approximate one to 3.5 ratio of flipper width to length, which means that the flipper shown here is around two to two and a half feet across. Taking force perspective and camera angle into account, this wound is likely a yard or more across. Most likely, as our mega shark closed to feed, it was attracted to the open wound. As shown on this diagram, that secondary bite would have ended up about here, right next to or even partially on top of the prop wound that fractured the whale's right scapula. The, so, the chopped up storm where it was like hamburger the on the left side wounds? was where the propeller wounded this whale. But anyway. Do you, do you think a great white could have done that? You think one could have got that big? Well, I mean, I've collected enough evidence. Either if it's not a white shark, the only other possibility is Otodus chubutensis, which is was the Megalodon's most recent ancestor. They split off. I don't mm -hmm. know how many millions of years ago, and they actually swam the seas together for many millions of years. And it grew up to 40 feet in length. I mean, I could show you a chubutensis tooth right now, but there, its teeth were more like a great white. It didn't have those bone chisel maxillary teeth in this in the front like Megalodon does. Its teeth were mm. thinner, more triangular, the, you know, the crowns, more like a white shark's tooth. So if it's not a white shark, that would be your best bet. But again, we need a breeding population. And I would think that if there was 500 or more of these things swimming around, you know, every time somebody says they've seen a 40 foot shark, it's a basking shark. Like the, you've seen the videos guys yeah, every I've time. Yeah. But I mean, no, it's like, look at the size of this shark and it's a basking shark. But, uh, you know, the, I, I mean, I'm 99% sure we've got some mutant white sharks out there that are getting, mm -hmm. as they used, we used to say in Brooklyn, stupid big, you know, like that kind of thing. So, <laughs> I don't miss that town at all. Let me tell you. No, sorry, boys. But no, <laughs> no, no. no. Uh, Space Cadet Lottie asks, um, "What are the panel's thoughts on the mysterious lace Lake Vostok?" Um, I, I imagine that. I mean, I have heard it. I have heard there, there, there is supposedly a creature in there. Has anybody got any comments on that? All I can say is, since we got through COVID for most of the way, let's not start exploring any new lakes anytime soon. Let's give it a couple of years before we pull out our next thing. Good point. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, Lori Murdy, have you guys ever looked into the stories of Monongahela monster? I have. In, yeah, yes. I know you have. So go yes. ahead and tell us what you found out. Okay, so this goes back to, uh, um, well, you can always say this is pre-European tech, but it comes down to us as Europeans telling us the story. So it's kind of a mix mash here. But anyways, there was a tradition among the Indians that lived along the Monongahela, right outside of Pittsburgh, as a matter of fact, mm -hmm. that a creature was known to come up and steal deer from the banks, you know, off the banks. So there's ways to look at this. Could it act as a boogeyman to keep their kids away? Or were they coming on a natural or natural 
from blood animal. There's a couple way to look at this. It seems to be very reptilian the way they describe it. Okay, and we know that by the time that the um, the, the 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 English came to uh, Jamestown, there were alligators as far north as the Potomac River. So, is it possible that one summer one could have found its way into Pittsburgh? Sure, possibility. But usually folklore is based upon something rather than just a one instance thing. There has to be a continuity here. So the other best guesstimate that I can make is that we were dealing with an out-of-place bull shark that found its way up the Mississippi River into the Monongahela. And the reason why I say this yeah. is we know for a fact that in Alton, uh, uh, Illinois, a, a bull shark was caught 800 miles Absolutely. away from the ocean. And in my book on aquatic monsters of the Great Lakes, we know that in 1955 in Lake Michigan, a young boy was attacked by something that was called a shark attack. Some people believe it was a bull shark. Uh, my opinion, it was probably a, a muscle lounge or, or some sort of pike or something like that. But mm -hmm. they thought that it was relatively um, explicable to say that a bull shark actually attacked a young boy, Lake Michigan, 1955. So it's my opinion that bull sharks, I think bull sharks are one of these critters that can be a, a monster in anybody's eyes because they're, they're uh, you know, they're a predatory uh, creature, uh, they're aggressive, and seeing one in a lake or seeing something attacked in a lake could provide a whole bunch of different kind of monster stories. Well, there have been, there have people, been people who have seen bull sharks in the Ohio River and, oh. I mean, coming coming out, yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, the uh, osmosis with them is like nothing i mean they get into fresh water and they start going That's and right. uh they're pretty aggressive as well so yeah i, I that doesn't surprise me at all yes that, yes, yes that could be a very plausible explanation yeah. Yeah, that's what I came up with because I studied it for a while because I like things, you know, in, in our hometown area. I like to kind of, but the, yeah. it's known as the Ugawa, but it sounds very close to Agua. So I think there's a lot of uh, influence from the uh, the uh, Spanish in there as well, too. Uh, but, you know, it was a, a, an Indian tradition and there was even reports of it being showing up in places like West Virginia as well. Yeah, it goes right through there. So absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. Interesting. Well, wasn't it a uh, the the shark attacks that inspired the movie Jaws happened in a stream in New Jersey? Absolutely. And I believe, and I believe that was the bull shark as well. That was, was a bull shark. I think it was Matawan yep. or something like that. Matawan, yep. right. Yep. Yeah, nineteen twelve. Uh, yeah, yeah so, I think that that shark killed three, two or three kids, didn't it? It did. Yes. It did horribly. Yep. And it was relentless. It would not like give up its prey, which mm. sounds like a bull shark. They once they latch on, it's not like a white shark where they bite, spit, and wait for you to die, mm. you know, and circle. They just hang on and keep tearing and tearing and tearing. Mm. So it's uh, hey, can he pull up this Cadborosaurus video? I sent him the link for because I'd like to get people's opinion on on that if possible. Yeah, that I'd like to see. I'd like to talk about that as well. That that thing is kind of. You know, you know. Talk talk about the catasaurs anyway, um, Max, so people have an idea what you're talking about. I, I honestly, I mean, I know the general reports that it's this right. you know, creature that's been seen. Um, it, it different characteristics. Supposedly, there was a carcass of a small one at one point. I mean, I think it relates more like to these giant turtles with the head and the neck and all that. Um, but there's a video that was from 2009. It's black and white. And it shows um, a creature of creatures 
uh, moving along laterally, servicing mm-hmm. one spouts. So obviously it's either a cetacean or a pinniped or something like that from the look of it and all. But they're one shot. The head shape is very, very characteristic. And I know what I think it is. I want to see if Steve and Ron and Kenny, what they think about it. You know, well, I, I know what you ta- I know which one you're talking about. You're talking about the, the, the kind of the head, the horse shaped head on that thing. No, um, this head comes out and it's square. Oh, okay. Almost like, well, a, almost like a little sperm whale or something yeah. like that. And then there's another video that I sent him a link for that came out a few weeks ago that was filmed off of North Carolina. This is re- recent, and it's a similar type of thing. And I, I, believe I saw that too. With, yeah, with the same <laughs> exact type of animals and stuff. I don't think there. Are, I don't believe there are some. And people are saying, "Oh, it's a mosasaur. It's an alligator. It's a plesiosaur. All this stuff." And I'm like, "No, it's blank." But, uh, yeah. No, I've had people. I mean, I I posted it up on the blog, and people are telling, "Well, it's just a manatee." It came north. No, that's not a manatee. Um, I mean, I hate to be like crushing people's dreams and stuff like that. You know, explaining <laughs> logical explanations for stuff. But I, I'm not yeah. gonna like feed into the hysteria if I see evidence that this is a cetacean. I'm gonna say right. it. And right. people that shot the video or promote the video might get pissed off about it and all that. I'm not trying to rain anybody's parade. I'm just not going to support, you know, a falsehood or a hoax or anything else like that. You know, it is what it is. You have to follow the science. And if the science shows me a pair of whale flukes breaking the surface, I'm going to say, there's the flukes. You can see them. There's the peduncle. There's the lobes. There, you know, et cetera. It's a whale. So I guess I threw him off asking for that with, no notice. I'm well, so sorry. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if he can get it up there. <laughs> you know. You know. I don't know if you guys know this, but I saw a Bigfoot almost thirty years ago. Oh, really? In, in the water and swimming. Is that right? No joke. Where when was I that? Swimming, that was, this was in Connecticut in Squans Pond, uh-huh. which is a lake adjacent to part of Candlewood Lake, where the state park is there. And I watched this thing. Um, I'll just, I'll blab until, if you, if you want me to, until he, he gets yeah, it ready. Fine. But, mm-hmm. uh, so this is literally like about 30 years ago, me and my brothers, my family had a big house on Candlewood Lake then. And so we were there for the summer. We decided to go to Squance. There's a causeway between these two lakes. Okay. And the causeway is piled up rocks, gravel, little high, little road on top of it. And then there's like this, I guess, steel reinforced concrete, like six foot pipe that goes underwater that under the causeway that allows the lakes to share water. Animals can swim back and forth, yada, yada, yada. So we went there at the crack of dawn. It was like still dark out. Oh, there we go. So let's let's look at this really quick. I can go back and talk Bigfoot. Okay. Whenever. Go ahead and let it roll on, Vincent. There's a whole family of these darn things. Last year, he shot this video of what looks like a sea monster. Okay, you can see the square thing what? come up and, and it's spout. Right there. You see that? Yeah. And they're going to yeah. play it again. It'll so be in slow lives. motion. <laughs> if he can grab that, pause it. Yeah, he's bringing it up again. Those aren't sea lions. You see sea lions. Help up. It's got humps that are they're 20 to 30 feet long. They're long. Right, right there. Feet. See that? There. Uh, see it's spout? And that square? head right there okay so i gave him
So that, in my opinion, is the head of a bull, a male bottlenose whale. And I sent him a photo of one for comparison. And you'll see it has that exact same square shape that they grow this bulbous you know, melon on the front there that looks identical to it. Do you think it was one or several? No, I think it's a pod. And that's why you get this, like oh, you guys okay. were saying, and Steve was saying, like with the seals and stuff like that, you know, yeah. these cetaceans are moving along in a family group, this type of thing. And that other video has this, is actually the other one's more interesting because there's, it looks like, like it's not anything supernatural or, or a cryptid in my opinion, but mm-hmm. it has one of those. I, I sent him a frame if he can pull it up. Um, gosh, I should have numbered these and sent them by email or something like that. But let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Where are you? Okay, so tell him the one first one right. Okay, that's the flukes. Okay, so we can look at that real quick. Mm-hmm. If you see that, uh, no, that's a dorsal fin. Okay, that's the fluke. So you see that yellow thing is the peduncle. The green dot is for the right fluke. And the red one is the left one, which is already flushed down and already starting to splash into the water. You can see when you see it swimming, you'll see the tail curve up and whatever. So there's no doubt this thing has flukes that it's a whale. But this is not that old video. This is the newer one. Okay. And and there's a couple shots I sent them showing because they were like, well, where's the dorsal? And there is a nice shot, several images there you could see. That's the dorsal on one of them, breaking the surface, et cetera, and stuff. You know, I had to go through this thing frame by frame practically, which is a pain in the butt, you know, to shut people up. That's a dorsal fin. Anybody who says that's not is, you know, smoking something. Sorry. But uh, so, you know, you're dealing with whales here. But the cool thing about this newer video is you have this square head at one point, and there's, he has a frame of it somewhere on there. If I, I wish I could get in there. But um, hold on. Where are you? Da, 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 da. Now that's okay. Now for whole like whole right there. Now that okay is a male of a different species. This is why I'm saying this footage is interesting. There appears to be two mature males. You see those pointy things up there? Is why people were saying it was an alligator or something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you pull up now, I gave him an image of whales. There. This is a sexually mature male. Um, no, all right, so that's the one with the square head. Uh, I can't keep track. <laughs> that's not it. No, no. The group. There's another one, a group of four. Yeah, right there. And you see the top one there? Now, that's a mature male of a different type of beaked whale. You see how it has those alligator-like knobs right. on top of the head? That is what that is in that one in that frame. Okay? But then there's another frame in there where you can see it in the video where the square head pops up, which is a male of a different, like a northern bottlenose whale so to me it seems like you've got two different species right there see the square head coming up mm-hmm. okay when you see the video you, it's undeniable so it's like you have two different mature male species two different species swimming together and i don't know if that happens in the wild or not but it's happening in this video in my humble opinion mm. but yeah that, but that's uh, that's unusual that, you think that they'd be together like that mm-hmm. but who knows yeah. Or maybe they're just passing along with each other yeah. or finding the same food. But that's the same square head species that is in the Cadborosaurus video. I mean, you saw that oh. thing actually spout, you know, like okay. you see that in the back of the head there and stuff. So that's what that's what they are, in my humble opinion, or my not so humble opinion. I get accused of being an egotistical jerk sometimes. <laughs> 
That's what my it, wife says. It, it's interesting. I mean, the cat of Burrow, I mean, I, I have no idea what that thing was. I know they've had investigations where they've done, you know, documentaries about it and, you know, but it's all conjecture for the most part. Uh, you know, the, the carcass they did have wasn't really much to look at. Uh, so, um, yeah, it could very well have been. And that the cat of Burrow, that was up in, that was up in Alaska, was it not? I think they see them all over the place, to be honest. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like anything that looks like, you know, unusual, strange. But yeah, that's, see, that's the thing submerging. That's the dorsal. That? There's the fluke. That's the that's the other male, but different species. There's the flukes again. That does look like a whale. Yeah, yeah but there's more than way. one. Yeah. I think it plays again after a little while, like it repeats or something. But I believe you've got two different species of mature males in here, either hanging out together or swimming in the same direction, at least, which is an unusual find, honestly. Unless it's common and, you know, see, there's a knobbiness. They're weird looking animals. There's the, that's the bull with the sperm whale head, I call them. Look at that. Hmm. I mean, does anybody here think that's a mosasaur or an alligator or a plesiosaur? Oh, it's definitely not an alligator. No, but I'm only seeing. You're saying two, but I, I'm only seeing where 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 do you see two? Well, you've got that's two different heads. So okay. it, the one with the square head is an individual animal, and then the one that looks like an alligator, but that one is a different animal. Mm. You can't is have it is it possible it may have turned or rolled and it's bringing its head up at an angle that's changing the look of the profile? Well, when you see it come up, like the, the melon breaks the surface there and it's we're lateral to it and then it just drops back down again. So, but that's not that's not the same animal right there. I mean, would it would it be common for two different, I don't think so. different species to like just swim yeah. next to each other like that? In, in I, I don't know. I mean, they're similar species. They're both bottlenoses, that okay. type of thing. But, uh, so, I mean, imagine they have, they're similar in size, similar feeding habits, etc. You know, maybe they're, I don't know, desperate for company or something like that. I think that the, the melon head one is the very beginning, though. But I don't know if you can pop back or not. I just find hmm. it fascinating that if, you, if I'm right, see that, that right there. That's yeah. not that can't be anything else but that melon, see, and then it's not this not it's not the same animal. No, other, no other part of the body looks like that. And that's the other that? one, which is right next to it. Right, back. right. See, that one's smaller, I think, the one that that's a little further back. But it's also got it has to be according to the, what I've researched a mature male with those knobs sticking up on its head like that. So, I just find it fascinating. But I mean, I don't see a mosasaur. I don't see a plesiosaur, you know. I don't see an alligator. I see right. cetaceans. So. Yeah. I mean, at first glance. Yeah, I glance, agree with it. It looks cetaceous. It, it, it does. I mean, at first glance, looking at it, if you, you look at it quick, then, you, you know, you don't keep backing it up and analyzing it. You know, mm -hmm. it kind of has that plesiosaurus if you, if you see it quick. But, you know, the more you, you, you break it down and you look at it, you can see you can see the differences, but again, I still, I can't, I can't see two, I, I can't see two different. It, it looks the same to me. It'll, I'll, 
I'll send you the link or they'll send you the link and you, yeah. you do yeah and analyze it definitely I'd love to hear you know your feedback on it yeah please I do mean, I feel like, yeah I, I think that's the same species as in the Cabarrosaurus video you know that square head thing that melon but anyway should I blab about the Bigfoot swimming or would you sure. like to change that? Tell us about the Bigfoot in the water. I'll, I'll, I'll try and give you the Cliff Snow's version without boring. <laughs> boring yeah. So the, the lake, it had rained its butt off the night before and it was like the color uh -huh. of coffee. And I don't mean coffee uh -huh. with milk in it. Okay. So, which was, we didn't research this stuff. So we got there, we were looking to fish. We had bobbers and minnows. You guys ever go on bobber fishing for? Sure. Okay, cool. So we were sitting there for like 30 minutes catching nothing. And then my two brothers decided they were going to climb, you know, walk up the hill, cross over the causeway, go down the other side and fish the Candlewood side. Like I said, these two lakes are attached right there. Okay. Just separated by this thing. So I figured I'll, I'll be here by myself and that's fine. And they'll turn on eventually and I'll catch all the bass and whatever. We figured there would be crayfish because of all the rocks that are used to build this thing up, see? So that was the logic there. Unfortunately, when you have no visibility, shiners are not very useful unless a bass literally smacks into them practically. So we were, the fishing sucked, okay? So as it was gradually getting light and this lake was like glass, there was nobody on the lake, there wasn't anybody. One side has a few houses on it. The other side is all state park and jungle, as I call it. And I mean, it's rough over there. But uh, so after a while, I'm sitting on a bucket and I see something pop up, I don't know, 150, 200 feet out, like a dark object. And then it goes under. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then a few minutes later, it came up again. And I'm like, what is that? And it was each time it would have went under, it would come up a little closer each time. You know, like it was working its way towards me, but it was still fairly far. And then I started noticing as this, it was sun was coming up, it was kind of hairy. And it was like at a reddish brown color to it. So I thought, oh, it's a muskrat because it was kind of round looking. And then I got a little mm. closer. I'm like, no, that's too big to be a muskrat. I'm like, it's a beaver. Like, you know, a beaver's butt, you know, that round part of them or back and all that, you know. I'm like, no, that's not a beaver. I'm like, what is that? You know, so now I stand up and I see this thing and it comes up like this dome. And this thing's head was not like patties. It wasn't conical. It was round just so we're clear on this and covered with hair and it would come up like that and then it would go under. So when I stood up, I started seeing more of it. Like, you know, it was like a body sort of under the surface behind it. And you could see like legs under the surface. And the weird part is when it went to submerge, the legs would move together. Like a girl's wearing a mermaid suit, you know, with the tail, not like we swim like a flutter kick or anything like that. So I, I still couldn't figure out what it was. And I'm like, is that a, deer and i'm like no because you know how deer are people in champlain they think it's champ all the time you see the head and you know the body wasn't that and then i'm like is it an irish setter because it was kind of that color and i'm like no that head is definitely not a canine and i just couldn't figure out what it was you know and i was estimating from that vast difference that it was distance i'm sorry that it was maybe five feet long but you know it was kind of head towards me and the rest was back and stuff so i thought okay we kept going under and then coming up going under and coming up and in retrospect apparently it was diving for crayfish like it would swim to the bottom catch a snack and come back up you know this type of thing so when it was maybe a hundred feet away i mean i'd have literally have to go there to gauge the distance and stuff like that but i decided you know what 
like I'm going to climb up the hill on the rocks, the gravel and stuff, and get higher up so I can look down at this thing. I figure then I can see more of it and figure out what it is. So I start doing that, and the rocks like crumble like they did. And apparently this thing did not know I was there sitting on a bucket this whole time. And as soon as that noise happened, it like dove. It kind of, there was a big splash. And as it did, and this is when I, I realized it was not something normal, its arm like this, upper arm, forearm, up to the wrist like this broke the surface. Okay. And its arm was much bigger than mine and much more muscular, um, you know, whatever, and covered with thick reddish brown, obviously soaked hair. You saw all this like that at the surface and then it went under and then it rocketed towards the, uh, the, the narrow channel, we'll call it, that goes through that pipe underwater. And as it did, and I walked over there real quick, I saw like a shadowy form like go through. It kind of scared me a little because it seemed a lot bigger than I thought that distance. And the water went like this, like, like up like that as it went through. So at this point, I had no idea what it was, except I noticed it had an arm like a person sort of. I, I was thinking it was an orangutan, which sounds stupid. <laughs> You know, why would somebody have a pet orangutan that goes out and is swimming around a lake or whatever? So I rush up the hill, almost get killed by a car, rush across to my brothers. And I'm like, guys, 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 there's this big hairy red thing. That's what I was calling it, the hairy red thing. Okay, I still get mocked to this day about it. I said, it's swimming through. It's going to come through any second. Well, stupid me. By the time I climbed up this thing, almost got hit, climbed on the other side, this thing had already passed through. So we're standing there, the three of us, we're looking at the water or this other side and nothing's happening. And they're like, you're, I got called a few names, whatever. But then a few seconds later, off to the, about a hundred feet to the side where the other shore is, there's all these lily pads that stick out. I don't know, six, eight feet, you know, like prime bass territory. And something was under the lily pads and was crashing its way through. You'd see like this. And then further down, it would pop up again and stuff like that. And I think whatever it was, was in there and working its way along the shoreline and using the lily pads to conceal itself. So I never thought much of about it after that. We always joke about catching the hairy red thing and stuff. But then like when I was writing Monster Marine Mysteries, I realized this thing must have been a Bigfoot, you know, like of some kind, maybe a juvenile that had a addiction to potato chips, meaning crayfish and stuff like that, you know, was out there at the crack of dawn, this type of stuff. So I started researching, I found a newspaper article from like the early 1900s where the fishermen were saying, fishermen report seeing hairy wild child in lake, you know, and then, uh, yeah, so somebody from another network, she told me, well, that's before people knew the term Bigfoot or Sasquatch, that's what they would call them, hairy wild man, hairy wild child in this case, that type of thing. And like, you know, we didn't have cameras. There was no cell phones back then or anything like that, this type of stuff, except for the ones that you had, like came with a suitcase and stuff. But uh, so then when I was on the show talking about it, this guy wrote in and he actually sort of reinforced, you know, the, the, the encounter because he was explaining how in the late 70s and early 80s, him and his friends used to go up to Swans and they would camp and they would take out canoes and fish the lake, this type of stuff. And he said that in the early 80s, the last time they went, when they came back to their camp, it had been attacked. The tents had been ripped apart. Everything had been destroyed, thrown all over, etc. So they thought it was, as he put it, drug-crazed hippies or something like that. 
Okay. <laughs> so yeah. So they didn't want to go there back there. Then their other friends were like, Hey, we're going. And he goes, No, we don't want we had a bad experience. He goes, Watch out for the hippies. They were joking. So his other friends were on Squans on the state park side, where it's all mountainous and woody and all this other stuff. And they're canoeing along the sides of the edge of the lake. And then all of a sudden they hear some crashing as they approach a little um, clearing, as he called it. And this big buck comes rushing out of the woods, dives into the water right in front of their canoe, terrified, and swims for its life across the whole lake, which is quite a swim, by the way. And he said they heard something crashing in the brush following it, and it stopped just shy of the clearing and didn't come any further. And they thought maybe it was a hunter, which I would say it's ridiculous, because if you've ever been in there, that terrain, if you tried running through there, you're going to die break your leg, your neck, something like that. I mean, it is treacherous, slippery, like all sorts of stuff. You'd have to see it to believe it, right? But uh, no person, you couldn't chase a deer anyway. But anyway, so whatever it was stayed there. And then it started throwing stuff at them for 15 minutes. Rocks, branches, twigs, all sorts of stuff. They were getting pelted and everything. And finally, they were like, hey, a-hole, we're in a canoe. Stop it. They said, then it stopped. And he said... After he heard me talking about it, he realized this sounded like Bigfoot was bothering them. And that's like primate behavior. I mean, these creatures are known to do that, correct? Mm -hmm. Like most other people? Yeah. So, so, I mean, that kind of made me feel good that I didn't imagine seeing this thing swimming, et cetera, and all that. But it's the same spot, same lake, et cetera. So, but anyway, one day when they're proven to exist, and by the way, I know somebody who saw a full-color non fuzzy photo of one by the way i can't talk about it but she was totally freaked out hysterical about what she's seeing the photo that somebody showed her and stuff but um but when it is proven that they exist and then somebody sees them swimming they're gonna be like oh look at that they do swim with their legs together see max wasn't a complete moron (laughs) complete still partial well, guys, um, I'm going to go around the horn here. I want you to tell the folks how they get in contact with you, uh, what projects you're doing, what you're involved with right now. I'll go ahead and start with Max. Oh, gosh, I'm, I'm still blabbing. <sighs> okay, um, get in contact with me. No, please don't. Don't come to my house. Don't send me one of those two-page letters about a typo in one of my books. I got one. Um, let's see. The last two books that of mine that came out was this past year. Um, which is Cronus Rising Purgatory, which is book seven in the series, and a Christmas-themed horror thriller called The Slay. You can find either of these on my website, maxwalthorn.com, or on Amazon. If you guys want to check me out on Facebook, the group is Monsters and Marine Mysteries, which is easy to find. Um, and that's about all I can tell you. Uh, Ron? Yes, sir. Yes, okay. So uh, I uh, just po- I just got a uh, my book one. Yeah. I just got a book finished uh, on Earthlights uh, and uh, mysterious, mm. strange spook lights. I'm looking for a publisher right now, uh, so I'm going to be shopping that here before long. And uh, you know, just getting ready for the conference season to start up. Hopefully, our paths cross again this year, Swan, at some point, and Steve and everybody Hopefully, else. Hopefully, yeah, I'm planning on getting out there this year. So, absolutely, I hope we can. I can't we can hook up? Yep. I'm going to get your book. Done. Steve, what's uh, what's going on your 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 neck of the woods? Oh God, uh, I got a ton of stuff going on. Uh, the uh, if anybody's gone over to the my YouTube channel, SquatchDTV.com, I've been pumping out a lot of material. 
uh, working on my fourth book, The Psychology of Bigfoot. Uh, that's uh, going to deal with everything from why people go out every time and see Bigfoot to uh, some of the trauma that witnesses go through when they see a Bigfoot and uh, the psychology of hoaxing to boot, too. So mm. there, there's a lot of different uh, elements to the psychology of Bigfoot. thought it'd make a great, great read. And uh, that, and I'm, you know, got a bunch of conferences already uh, lined up uh, in Alabama, Ohio, uh, and that's just uh, a couple already in New York. So it's been very busy. Good. And Kenny? Yeah, so um, I just started the outline for um, uh, another book um, that's going to be published through Beyond the Fray. Um, International Cryptids just came out in um, August, and uh, so once that released, I took a little break um, and kind of took 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 the rest of the, the year off on uh, doing any conferences or anything. But I got a couple so far that I've confirmed this year. Um, one's going to be in... Um, uh north carolina another one's going to be in uh west virginia uh there'll be one coming up uh here in new york um as well as um you know just some some other things some radio shows coming up um some more um potential documentaries so we'll see what happens just uh just having a lot of fun with it and uh looking forward to uh definitely getting back out there and um you know getting on the uh conference conference tours if you will well, guys, I want to thank you all for coming on. Um, it was very interesting. I hope to have you all back again. And uh, you all have a good weekend, and we'll be talking soon. <laughs> so, then again. Somebody? Well, that was yeah, I Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for coming on, and uh, you all have a great weekend. Hey, guys, thank you so much for having mm. me. It's great seeing you guys. Have mm, a great day. Take care. Now, if uh, you have a sighting or encounter report that you'd like to be considered for the personal report show or even post on Fams of Moss, feel free to contact me at my email at lawnstrickerfamsofmosses.com. I want to again uh, thank guys for being on the panel tonight. Uh, and thanks for joining me this evening. And, and thanks to each and all of you for watching and chatting. Uh, I always appreciate you all coming in the chat and uh, leaving questions. And some good discussions come up there. And it's interesting to read. So I much appreciate that. So this next Wednesday, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, I, there will be another personal report show. And uh, next Friday night, uh at 9 p.m., we're going to be having a Phantoms of Monsters 14 Research Team update show. So uh, we're going to kind of get into what we've been doing, some of the sightings and some of the work some of the people on the team have been doing. So that should be interesting. And stay tuned uh, at 11 p.m. tonight, Eastern, 10 p.m. Um, Central Time for uh, Bernadette Daniel and uh, A Paranormal Life. So until we meet again, folks, you stay healthy and have a safe, enjoyable weekend. Good night.